Well, I suspect that many of you are like me. When you think of uh, this whole thing about joy, you kind of think of parties and food and laughter and getting together and all sorts of kind of celebratory things. You don't think so much of things to do with sadness and difficulty and hardship. You know, for many, many years, and it's still a bit of a struggle for me, to be honest with you, this whole, this whole theme about joy, it's tough for me to understand. Uh, because for me, joy is, man, there better be a party going on here. There better be some good food and some friends around that I know and feel comfortable with and not intimidated by whatever. It just be a good thing. Now, here, but always, they're always saying, well, you know, joy is different than th- and happiness and all this stuff. Never made any sense to me. And I found out this week why that's so. It's because I'm an Old Testament guy. This is a surprise to me because I was reading one of my theological dictionaries. I don't know why this never occurred to me before, but in this, the author was explaining that, that in the Old Testament, joy is always linked with like festivals and parties and feasts and going to Jerusalem and, and all of these things. And it talks about uh, kind of what I would expect joy and parties to be. But something weird happens. When we get into the New Testament time, all of a sudden, joy, if you read the text, is most often linked with hardship. It's most often linked with with things and circumstances and seasons and experiences that are difficult. Even right to Jesus, you know, who for the joy set before him, that's you, you're his joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, this kind of makes sense to me. And so with that sort of understanding, oh, there's a bit of a shift here. Sometimes, you know, I struggled with this definition of joy. And so what I've got for us today It's kind of four definitions of joy. And what we're going to do at the end is we're going to take a vote. Okay? This is serious. So there's going to be four, and you choose which one resonates the best with you, and then we'll we'll kind of vote on this, okay? Because there's this shift that takes place, and we've got to understand that joy is not always like balloons. All right, so first one, I told you, I've said it before, because this is kind of one that I've used for a long time. It's by theologian Karl Barth. In his comments and his uh, thinking about the book of Philippians, he says that joy is a defiant nevertheless. You get the idea? It's this idea that the, the darkness is coming, the enemies are coming, the hard times are coming, all of this stuff, but yet we're going to stand here and we're going to say, this thing is not going to beat me. I'm going to have joy in the Lord regardless of the waves that are hitting me. It's a defiant, nevertheless. Okay? That's kind of, that's kind of, now, so if you like that one, you've got a few amen, you can, you're going to vote on that one. If you like that one. Number two, this one I like because a fellow, a lecturer I was listening to, uh, is a guy who has, he said he struggled with clinical depression from his mid-30s on. And he said that, that this definition that's provided by, uh, by uh, theologian uh, Gerald Hawthorne um, in his commentary on Philippians was really helpful to him. And so this, this counts big for me because here's somebody that wrestles with depression. Like, I'm off work, can't do anything, can't get out of bed, depression. And this, this definition resonated with him. Okay, it's a bit longer. Here we go. For Paul, joy is more than a mood or an emotion. Joy is an understanding of existence that encompasses or that captures both elation 
and the depression of death and spilled blood. That can accept with creative submission. I, that, I love that part of it. Do you understand that? I mean, catch on to that. that. That can accept with creative submission. Think about that. In other words, what it's saying is something good is happening. That's a, no problem. But if something bad has happened, it's like, okay, this has happened to me. These circumstances have come upon me. I wouldn't have chosen this. I, I don't want this. But I'm going to be creative in this whole deal. And I'm not going to let this sucker beat me either. I'm going to figure out with the Holy Spirit how I'm going to find joy in the midst of it. And it's going to take some creativity because everybody looking outside is going to say, man, that Jones, he has a hard life. You know, look at him. But I'm going to be creative in that, he says. I'm going to figure out how to do it. All right, I love that little part. So it, it encompasses both elation and depression that can accept with creative submission the events which bring delight or dismay because joy allows us to see beyond any particular event to the sovereign Lord, to the king, to the one who's boss, to the sovereign Lord who stands above all events and ultimately has control over them. Okay, so maybe that, maybe that definition of joy, this whole thing about, you know, listen, I'm going to be creative in this. And I'm going to get look past my circumstances. I'm going to look at Jesus, who is the boss of this whole deal, and he's going to get me through. Okay, so maybe that's a definition that, like this, my, my, the lecturer who wrestled with depression type. Third definition, a little shorter. Joy is a sense of well-being that is founded on grace. It kind of carries the idea, the Old Testament idea of shalom, okay? That even though stuff's bad, even though it's often difficult sometimes, and sometimes things are good, it's not all about bad stuff, but sometimes things are good, but it's the sense that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, even though things are tough right now, I'm going to ride these waves because God's grace is going to get me through this. Because maybe I even put myself into this bad situation, which is causing trouble and heartache amongst me and my family and my friends or whomever it is. Maybe it's that, but God's grace is going to cover that over. And that sense of well-being, I can have joy. Okay, it's okay. Here we go. Okay, that's the fourth one, last one. Okay, here we go. Joy is gratitude when things are going well. Gratitude when things are going well, but an unshakable trust when things are rough. An unshakable trust that this Jesus is going to get me through it. And so even though things are really tough, and it might be quite, <laughs> quite a while, and it might be really deep, but I've got this unshakable trust that somehow Jesus is with me in the midst of that, and Jesus is going to carry me through this, okay? So, four definitions. All right, time to vote. Definition number one. Oh. Ooh, that's interesting. Had one? Ah! Well, you had two, because I liked that too. had it for years. All right, definition number two. I've got a few here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen. All right. Definition number three. Ooh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, oh look at this. Oh, I'm losing count. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Seventeen. That's the one it's for. Finally, the last one, this whole thing, gratitude and unshakable trust. Well, there you go. So the winner is. A sense of well-being founded on grace. You see, there's this whole thing, but you see, you, you see, did you catch the common thread through all of them? The, the common thread 
is that we're not dependent upon circumstances, but Jesus runs through all those things. Now, it's really interesting, because in this passage that we're going to be talking about, Paul twice talks about uh, this that has happened to me. And he's saying that, look, things happen to us in life. Things we'd never choose. But these circumstances come upon them, and they can be, as a matter of fact, a place that can shape us into a person of joy. Even hardship can shape us or form us spiritually into a person of joy. Verses 12 and 19, he just talked about that. This which has happened to me, this which has happened to me. All right, now, we're going to read a passage, and I'm going to talk about, I, I find in here, maybe more, maybe less, but I find in here four trails to joy. Four trails to joy. Now, I use the word trails on purpose because it's not necessarily easy trekking to get through life to get to this place of joy. It's not like a smooth highway. It's not like, you know, getting canoed down a river going in the right direction. It can be a bit of a trail. There's ups and downs and there's stumbling parts and there's rocks and the more tired you are, the more like you are to stumble over a route. It's a trail. It's up and it's down and it's around and about. But in the end, they bring us to a place of joy. So four trails that I think are, are places or ways or means of grace that we can get to be a person and be shaped into a person and a church of joy. So here we go, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. See if you can pick out the four as we go. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, see, what has happened to me, these circumstances, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, throughout the whole praetorium, these were the elite troops that guarded, guarded Caesar. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, this is weird, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus without fear. Kind of weird. He's in jail, so that makes them brave. Okay. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. Knowing that I'm put here, I'm put here, God has put me in this, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? Here's a key verse. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yeah, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, these circumstances, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage to, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, here's another famous verse, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far 
But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. All right, you see joy thrown through there, hardship thrown through there. Let's, let's see if we can trace these four trails and find ourselves being shaped into people of joy. The first trail, the first trail is living on mission. Living on mission. Now, I want, you to, I want you to be really careful here because our theme for this year is take joy. Now, it's going to be really easy for us to think that the theme is just joy because I'm selfish and I want to be happy. I want to have joy. I want to have those things. But, and, and certainly that's involved. We're to, we're to take joy. We're to take joy into our life. We're to, we're to have it in our life. But the whole theme is not just that joy so that I can have joy. The whole theme for our year is take joy. In other words, the joy that I receive from Christ, I'm going to take that on mission and I'm going to hopefully share it with somebody else. See that? Okay, so that's the theme. Take joy. So the first trail to joy is living on mission. And when we think about this, as you read it through here, we've got the bad, the good, and the ugly. I have to change the order a little bit. The bad, the good, and the ugly as we live on mission. So first of all, the bad. The bad is that Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's possibly awaiting death. He doesn't know if he's going to get out. He hopes he's going to get out, but he might die. That's this whole conversation about to live and to die. I don't know which to do. He's in a bad spot. And he's been there now for months and months and months, more than a year. Bit of a debate because they don't know which prison he was in. But a long time he's been in prison. But that's not his focus. His concern is that the gospel is advanced. And it's advanced in a couple of different ways. If you look at where he says it's advanced in verse 12, what he's talking about is the gospel, the good news of Jesus spreading through society, spreading through these Roman guards, spreading into the household of Caesar. But if you go down into the next part, in verse, in verse 25 there, it doesn't say advanced, it says progress, but it's the same, it's the same word because this is an inclusio. It's saying that this is a whole passage. It's all about the advance of the gospel. And this is, this is about the advance of the gospel in your heart, in your life. This is the helping each other mature into Christ Jesus. The advance of the gospel in my heart and in my life, in my actions, in my attitudes, in my being. Now, this word advance, it's a military word. Because Paul understands that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. There's an enemy who wants to take you down. There's an enemy who wants to take us down. But what, he, what, he's, what he's saying here is that, is that once again, God has done the great reversal. That's what this last song was all about. You know, there's all of this dark stuff, this bad stuff, graves and there's ashes and all this stuff. But God flips that around. And he said, this is what's happened. Is that the enemy has tried to shut me down. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm possibly awaiting execution, but God has used that bad circumstance for good. He's used it to advance the gospel. He's taken the ashes, the sorrow of imprisonment, and turned it into the joy of the gospel advancing. Because the enemy had put him in prison. And Paul said, but what God has done with that has allowed me to come to the place where now I have infiltrated the Roman structure. The elite praetorian guards have heard the Gospels. You know, sometimes, 
Sometimes the things that we think of God as chained up, when looked at with missional eyes, we looked at it, how, how, how can the gospel be shared in this? Sometimes those very chains, those things that chain us, might be our job, might be our neighborhood, might be the school we're in, might be some physical limitation or, or sickness or something that we've gone through. Sometimes those very things, if we look at them through a different lens, become not chains, but an avenue to be on mission for Jesus. You know, if you want to have a testimony of that, Michelle, several times, I've heard, has talked to me several times about how, how as she worked through and the Lord uses her, her restrictions physically to advance the gospel. And so sometimes we just need this change of focus and the bad can become good when we live on focus. I remember when Andrew was in school, so right about grade five, I think, he started writing to the Minister of Education to say he wanted to change the school system. True story. <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> by, by, by grade 10, he's like, this is a complete waste of time. I could be done this in six months. Do you know what? We just sit all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, and you've got to say, I, I'm kind of a bit of a believer in education myself. Well, it's a waste of time. Did I? So I remember sitting there in, in the school counselor's office. Andrew wants to, you know, do homeschooling. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, and Art Park goes to school counselor, and he says, Andrew, because Art's a Christian. He says, you're a Christian, right, Andrew? Yeah. He says, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you don't need the school. Maybe you could do this faster and be done and get on with your life and all those things. Maybe, but have you ever thought that maybe, maybe you don't need school, but maybe we need you as a Christian in the school? Maybe we need you and this, this frustration you've got. Maybe change the lens a little bit and this can be your mission. I don't know if it affected Andrew, but it made me think. <laughs> but this whole thing, you see, sometimes we've got these things that restrict us. And it's hard and it's frustrating. But if we can start to think about, okay, Holy Spirit, show me how can this be, how can this be turned? How can you turn these ashes and mourning into, into joy and celebration? How can I make this how you've got me on mission, whatever this chain might be. So that, that's the bad. The bad is he's in jail, but he lived on mission. The good are the believers that share the gospel out of love. This weird passage, which it says that, listen, because of my change, you know what happened? Is that most of the people who are followers of Jesus, they become so encouraged, they become so emboldened that now they're sharing the gospel even more than they ever did. Even though they know that there's massive risks involved in this, maybe even imprisonment and the rest, even so, they're risking everything to share the gospel. Why? Because of love. Love for me, love for God, and maybe even love for other people. I don't know if you remember it, but it really struck me. But a few years ago, I showed a video. You can check it out. Google it. Go on YouTube. Check this out. You know, uh, Penner Gillette, you know, of Penner and Tala, you know, the magician dude. Do you know, do you know him? Okay, you didn't know Alexander the Great. Maybe you know Penn. You know Penn? <laughs> anyway, he's an atheist. Vowed atheist. There is no God. All this kind of stuff. A nice enough guy, whatever. And you, you can look this up. He said, but you know, he said, um, there is no God. He said, but I was at a show a while ago. And uh, there was a guy, and the night before, he, he was, you know, we, they called him up on the stage to do a thing. And, and they, we give him the thing at the end. Thank you. Anyway, he said, but the next night, he showed up my show again. 
He said, we're at the end of the show, you know, we walk around, we say hi, thank everyone for the show. He waited till everybody was gone. Check this out, this is a powerful thing. And he says, and he, he came up to me, and, um, and he, he introduced himself again, and he said, he said some very sincere, complimentary things. He said, he looked me right in the eye, that was an important thing to him. He said, you can tell this is a good guy. And, uh, and he said, his goal was to proselytize me. And so he gave me, he gave me some, part, some card of the Bible. You could see, Penn, he didn't have a clue what it is. He said, I don't know what it is. He's like a, new a Gideon's thing, a New Testament. But had Psalms in it. Psalms in the New Testament. You can hear him struggling. I mean, he, this guy, he says, you know what? He said, um, I'm going to tell you something. I've always said, I respect Christians who proselytize. Because if you really believe that there is a God and you really believe that there is a heaven or a hell and you really believe that there's a way of salvation, how much would you have to hate me to not tell me? How much do you have to hate me to not tell me? And he kind of goes, you can, you can look it up, I'm telling you. It's like, holy jump. Well, now that we've had guilt for breakfast for a while, let, let's just think a bit more on. You see, what, what, what Paul is saying is that, listen, uh, the good is when love, love for the Lord, love for Jesus, Love for each other, love for your neighbor and your friends and your workmates, where you'll love as much as you can, in whatever way you can, to share the good news of Jesus with them. So we've got the bad and we've got the good. He says, but not only that, but, but actually when it comes to this life and mission, even the ugly counts. And who are the ugly? Well, the ugly are these people that they're preaching the gospel out of bad motives. And there's several bad motives. Some he said out of selfish gain. Maybe it was for power over people. Maybe they were turning into these itinerant preachers that went around and, and talked about the gospel just for the cash offering that they could get in the end. Tom Wright suggests that, well, this is gossip. It's the bad of gossip where, hey, did you hear about the Apostle Paul? Yeah, this guy is walking around talking about Jesus. He's getting his comeuppance. He's in, he's in jail. Now, why is he in jail? Ah, he's talking about this Jesus supposed to have read from the dead or whatever. So maybe he said it's just this gossip that they want to slam Paul, but, but still the message out. Maybe it could be uh, that there's the sect of people that we'll talk about later who are the Judaizers and they were trying to divide the church. They were trying to draw people away from Paul and back into the law and circumcision and so on. We don't really know, but the point is that Paul says, listen, these guys, their motive is bad, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people are doing evil against me as long as the mission is moving forward. As long as the mission is moving forward. And most people are starting to talk more about the gospel because of what's happened. You know, one of the things that struck me as doing this passage, it's so easy, it's so easy for us as Christians, I think, to, to get discouraged. Because we can, we can, okay, well, I'm going to do this for Jesus. I'm going to, you know, whatever. I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. I'm going to take a risk and put a Frenchman on the line. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to teach. I'm going to give. Whatever the deal is. And then, and then when the result doesn't turn out the way we think it should, it, it's, I don't know if you, it's like really discouraging. It's like, pfft. 
But what's interesting in the Apostle Paul is that he said, no, 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 you need to understand something. The way in which you advance the gospel, you, you just have to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life. The results of that, whether this Praetorian guard comes to Jesus or whether, you know, people, that's, that's up to God, that's up to the Holy Spirit. But the, the joy and the advance of the gospel, the joy of living on mission is that we just do our part. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to do his part. And in that, we can find joy. Now, second trail. Second trail to being shaped into a person of joy is living in hope. Living in hope. Here he is in prison, and the connecting verse, verse 18 and 19, the, the connecting verses are all about, yeah, I, that connect his experience from his attitude. What connects those things together are joy, if you look at it there. He says, yes, in this I find joy. Indeed, again, I will continue to rejoice. And the whole thing had to do with his hope for deliverance. Now, quick side note, we're not sure what he means by deliverance here. The word is actually salvation. And so the, the, big, the clever people, they argue about, well, he's talking about deliverance or salvation, getting out of jail. And other people say, no, 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 he's not getting out of jail. He's talking about ultimately knowing that even if he dies, as he goes on to say, he's going to go and, and be with Jesus. So they debate back and forth. Maybe Paul is uh, deliberately ambiguous and he kind of wants to get the idea. The point is this, is that he says, look, I have this sense of hope. And here we've got the good, the better, and the best. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. Okay? So that's what, that's what he's going to do. He's going to talk about the good, the best, and the best. He says, look, let me tell you what the good is. The good is that if I keep on living, I'm going to have fruitful ministry. The good is that if I keep on living and I get out of jail, I know that I'm going to be a blessing to you. The good is that if I get out of here and I get out of jail and I continue to live, I'm going to get to plant other churches. Other people are going to get to know about Jesus through me. That's the good. But let me tell you what's better. It's better for me if I die. Isn't that weird? Paul kind of says, you know, I kind of agree with Rome. He's better off dead. What a, what a strange thing to say. But when we think about it, it's like he's saying, look, I'm going to tell you something. For me, it would be better to have the relief from the stresses and the strains and the pressures and my body falling down because I'm sick and all of these different things. And, and it would be better for me to just go and to, and to be with Jesus and to leave all this stuff behind. You see, at some point in our life, for very many people, death at some point becomes a friend. I'm not sure how many people, senior saints or, or really seriously uh, ill people with pain that, that, that pray and just say, Alan, can you pray that the Lord take me home? Because by now, you know, my friends are gone, my family's gone, I'm in this pain, I'm going to die. Can you, just, can you just ask Jesus to take me home now? Now listen, don't get the wrong impression here. Because it's not like Paul was, yeah, we're going to die. Why don't I just jump off this cliff? Because this time it's a struggle. Matter of fact, Tom Wright points out, he said, listen, you go over there to 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, what you'll see is that Paul was kind of wrestling with this. And he's saying, I'm despairing of life. Things were so tough. Things were so hard. I thought I was going to die. It was miserable. So it's not like, yahoo, I'm 20 years old. I hope I die and get to be with Jesus. He's not saying that. He, there's, a, there's a joy in life and there's, uh, there's all this. There's a wrestling. Maybe some of you have been in that spot. I remember when uh, 
We're going down the highway with Henry and Irene, and Henry drove us into a drunk driver. That he came across. And we were in like this head-on collision in which the other guy was killed. I looked out the windshield, and he came flying through his windshield. And, um, and, uh, and I was in a seatbelt, and I, I couldn't breathe. And I kind of looked over, and, and Henry's blood pouring from his face. And uh, Sheena was in the back seat. Irene was unconscious. And she was, in, and she was just calling my name, Alan, Alan, and I couldn't answer. And I wasn't thinking, yeah, I'm going to get to be with Jesus. I was thinking, Lord Jesus, don't let me die. I've got my wife. I've got my kid. He's just four years old. Don't let me die. So don't, don't, you know, because we have faith, it doesn't mean that there's this glorification of death. I mean, life is good. Life is a gift. And, and we've got kids, and we've got family, and we've got these things, and we want to, we want to have that. But there's this sense that when, when it comes to the crunch, though, when it comes to the crunch, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. But I, was, I was captured, you know, in verse 20. And this is actually, out of this whole passage, it's that verse 20 that I've been sort of wrestling with my life uh, for this week. Is this what he says? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I like that. I eagerly expect and hope that I will have courage. You see what he's saying there is, I understand that there's a possibility that I'm not going to do that, that I'm, I'm not going to have courage. There's a possibility that I am going to be ashamed of the gospel sometimes, that I am going to back off, that I am going to be embarrassed that I'm in, in jail for it. There's a possibility that I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fall, and I, I, I know that, and so I kind of hope I can hang on. On the other hand, I expect myself to get through. I expect the Holy Spirit to give me the strength that I need to get through these circumstances so that I can come through with, with the courage that leads to hope. And I've spent some time, I haven't got it figured out yet, but I'm, I'm trying to think, boy, you know, what, what does it mean to live with the hopeful expectation of courage that leads to joy? I mean, in the circumstances of your life right now, they're difficult. What, what would that look like? To live with the hopeful expectation that leads, that gives the courage that leads to joy. Because that's what Paul says that he had. And he had this hope that the power of the Spirit is going to enable him to live in that way. He can face death because of Jesus and have courage in it. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure in this room all of us have lost people who are very close to us. You know, uh, last day, a week ago, last Saturday, so last Saturday I was at Rachel Rousen's celebration of life. Remember the Rousens? Remember Rachel? And, Reds. and uh, just the prior week, uh, Fred had called me up and I said, Alan, brother, I'm, I'm just letting you know that, that Rachel's going with Jesus. And so we went down to the, the service, the celebration of, of life. Um, she's just 41 years old. But there was just this sense of, of hope. But the sure knowledge that now she's with Jesus and all those restrictions that she faced and the surgeries and the pain and all those things, the scary times were gone. I remember when Sheena's sister died. How old was she? 41, 42, early 42? She's 42 she died. Died suddenly. She was very brittle, diabetic. And 
Anyway, we went down there, had the, had the, the service and so on. And I can, remember, I can remember getting back to the house and Sheena's mum kind of collapsing in a chair and saying, it's the strangest thing in the world to come from your own daughter's funeral and feel encouraged. Well, what was that? It was the hope, the knowledge that Judy was with Jesus and the restrictions of her life. She'd been in a, a coma early in life and lost a lot of ability and memory and different things. All that was gone and, and she was now in, in the beauty of her fullness. See, this is, this is the hope even in those darkest times of, of losing kids. I mean, what, what's worse than that? Nothing. There can be this sense. A sense. And that's the good. That though we die, yet we shall live. The best isn't really mentioned in there, but I have to say it. And the best is resurrection. Because you see, this whole thing of when we die and we live and there's, there's heaven and we're not really sure how that looks. Somehow God holds our being in his being. But the day of resurrection comes when we get our resurrected bodies. A new creation begins in all of its fullness. And all of the brokenness and all of the sorrow and all of the, the mess that the world's in and all of those things gets washed away because of the fullness of the resurrection. Well, we have this expectation, and we know about this expectation because of the third trail. The third trail is living in relationship. Verse 19. Verse 19 kind of captures both of the relationships there. The first relationship is relationship with each other, and Paul has joy with the others because of their provision and because of their prayers. Paul was no long ranger. He understood that if I'm going to live a life of joy, I need to make sure that I have people around me who care about me, who love me. That's what the church is for. That's why this whole thing about lone ranger Christianity, no such thing. If not in the Bible, I don't know what it is that people think that they can, you know, just me and Jesus. I don't know what that is, but it's not biblical Christianity. And it's, it's really quite interesting that, that Paul says, listen, you know, I have hope because I'm in relationship with you and you encourage me. You know, on Thursday, uh, our prayer times, which everyone's invited to, but I make the staff go to the other. But there, um, we, we read it, begin with the psalm. Thursday morning at 7 o'clock. And, and I was struck this week because it was, we read Psalm 142. And Psalm 142, in verse 4, says this. This is Psalm of David. Look and see, for no one is at my right hand. And no one has concern for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I thought, man, what a tragic, tragic, tragic thing. I mean, it's one thing to be going through difficult times. It's a completely other thing to go through difficult times by yourself, alone, feeling like nobody cares. That should never happen to followers of Jesus. That's why God puts us together in relationship relationship of, of, he says, I'm so thankful that you pray for me. But not only do you pray for me, but sometimes you are an enacted prayer. Sometimes you're the answer to the prayer. You've sent Epaphroditus with food for me and care for me so that I can get to eat in prison. So that's important too. It's not that we pray for one another, but that if we have the ability to be the answer to that prayer, to answer that prayer. But most importantly of all, I shouldn't even say that. Equally important is relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see what he says there? 
The provision of the Holy Spirit. This word for provision means, the, means bountiful supply, more than what we need. And what he's saying is that, is that when you think about your life and you think about the struggles and joy, the Holy Spirit will give you more than you need for that. Now, it might be that, that they don't know. They can't tell. Paul's not clear in his writing. It could be that the Holy Spirit himself is the provision, or it could mean that the Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need because fruit of the Spirit is joy, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? So it could be either one of that. But the point is that Paul's saying that, listen, if you want to follow this trail of a life of joy, then you need to take seriously your daily walk with the Holy Spirit. You need to invite the Holy Spirit each day. Come and fill me again, Holy Spirit. Give me what I need to get through this difficult time. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead me and guide me. Help me to be a source of joy to other people. All of those different things. You see, perseverance and joy doesn't come automatically. It comes through relationships with each other and with the Holy Spirit. But of course, the relationship that is the ultimate relationship that leads to all the rest is verse 21. The fourth trail, really the central trail, really the head of the trail that leads to all the others, and that's living in Christ. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. Man, life gets out of focus, doesn't it? Even when we're kind of halfway concentrating on it, it gets out of focus, this whole thing about Jesus being at the center. You know, it's an interesting thing. When I was, I, you know, it was by like day three of me studying this passage and meditating on it that I realized that Jesus is at the center of the passage. I mean, I was thinking about Paul in prison. I was thinking about most of the people getting courageous. I was thinking about, oh man, what, you know, Alan, what does it look like to, to live with hopeful expectation of courage that leads to joy, all those things. Kind of missed Jesus in the whole thing. Which is kind of weird because... Jesus, there's 14 verses we just read, and Jesus, or Christ, appears in 10 of them. And four more talk about the gospel, which is good news. I mean, he's right in the center of all, and I'm like, do 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 walk right past. But that can be so typical of life. Kind of go through life and the circumstances and the things that interest and the things that distract us and all those things. Or maybe even following our life in Jesus and, and somehow Jesus gets missed out of it. But Jesus is at the center of it all. Verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether in false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Verse 22, verse 21 rather. For for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because of Jesus. You see, the, the head to the trails to joy is living our life with Jesus at the center. Where Jesus becomes the center and the circumference of all of our life. But it's life in Jesus. What does it mean, as we began thinking, what does it mean to, to live day by day, hour by day, hour by hour in Jesus? Not to have him just sort of as an afterthought or he's just kind of hanging around. What does that, what does that mean to live in Jesus? And finding that a source of joy. And so I began thinking, well, okay, my closest relationship is Sheena. What does it mean for me to live in relationship with Sheena? Or your spouse, or your best friend, or your roommate, or whoever it is that's, that's closest to you. What does it mean for you to live in relationship with that person? To have the time and the energy and the focus and all those things to think, you know, for me to live is Sheena. You know, I'm going to think about Sheena. Whether I'm going to go for lunch and for lunch, hey, Sheena, I'm going to go for lunch. Or whatever it is, Sheena's at the center of it there. Otherwise, things begin to, 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 to fray. 
I, was, I had a couple of conversations with people this week and talking about, you know, what's your source of joy? How do you get joy? What's your path to joy? And, and a couple of them said, well, you know, where I find the greatest joy is when the people that I love advance. When, when good things happen to the people I love, my spouse, my friend, my, my kids or whatever, you know, the kids scores their first goal or whatever it is, the, the joy of it. It's in this relationship. And so it is when, when we have a relationship and we're living in Jesus. That's why Paul could say, listen, I'm so intimate with Jesus. And I'm so day by day, minute by minute by Jesus, that when, when the good news of Jesus advances, I just have this joy because I'm living in Jesus. To live is Christ. Not on the side, but to have the kingdom of God as central to it. And, and in that, I'm able to find joy. You know, there's a lot of trails in here, a lot of, lot of stuff. But it kind of boils down to the old cliche. I hate to do this, but it does. You want to talk about a life of joy. You want to talk about trails to joy. You want to talk about how to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. You want joy? Live with Jesus at the center. I mean, we've got to deal with all of the stuff and the questions about faith and the questions about life and all of those different things. But at the end, in the bottom of the whole shooting match, it's to lift up our eyes from our circumstances and to look at the sovereign one who is Lord of all, who one day will make all things right. And to keep him at the center of our life and focus. And that is... That is the compass which will get us along these trails toward joy which we all desire. Almighty God, I want to thank you that you are a God who reverses things and, and, and forces us to wrestle through this whole deal about, you know, yeah, there's joy in, in festivals and there's joy in the feasts and there's joy in singing together and all those things, but... But there's this question of how do we find joy? How do we become a people of joy in the midst of difficulty? How, in fact, do you, Holy Spirit, use these times of difficulty to shape us into a person and a community of joy? And it can be said a thousand ways, I suppose. But ultimately, it's you, Jesus. And so I pray this week as we go forward and perhaps reflect a little bit when we're not sensing the joy about these trails to joy to put you back in the center. For your glory, as he says at the end. For your glory and our joy. We pray through Christ. Amen. Amen.